You are now, now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramel Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People. Get ready. 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 Progressive action is now live. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's a special show tonight. It's a special, 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 special show tonight. What's going on, cuz? I'm chilling. What's going on? Hold on, hold on, guys. I'm chilling. What's going on, cuz? I'm just happy to be here once again. You know. The Charles Barron show was pretty good. Um, got a lot of information out of that. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it was you know that show was definitely an educational show. You know that um, you know I'm still uh, I'm very um, if he's listening right now or when he does listen, I'm very thankful for him again for coming on the show like that because that was our first politician, and you're talking about an education, a priceless education, and inf- a lot of priceless information that was given to us and the members uh, about what's going on. You know, Brooklyn residents, a little a little American history, a little black history, just basically it was a little bit of everything, you know? So basically, um, I enjoyed that show, you know? Yeah, it was really good, but today, who we got? Well, today, like I said, um, well, first of all, you know, you know, before we announce our guests and before we continue going forward, I just wanna give a, um, a shout out to um, there's a guy in our group on Facebook. His name is Gary Bono. Uh, I don't know what department he's from, but he has a newsletter. I believe him. It's a collaboration of him and a couple other people. He has a new, a brand new newsletter that debuted this month. This is the first issue where he, um, you know, where, he, where it's a, a couple of issues throughout the union are spoken about, and he even did a piece on uh, on the Progressive Action Radio Show. So I just want to give a big shout out to him for that, and I thank you for that. Shout out to Gary Bono. Look, we need y'all to follow us on social media. Instagram, Progressive Action. Twitter, Progressive Act. Um, We now on uh, iTunes and Google Play. Search us, Progressive Action. Um, This week we will be on BCAT um, channel, I think 67, at like 6.30 or something like that. Right, this Saturday. Yeah, this Saturday. So we all over the place and we just started. But today, today, we got Harry Wells in the building. Mr. Harry Wills, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Everything is good, man. What brings you to Progressive Action today? Well, I've um, I've been looking and listening to some of the stuff that y'all have been doing, and um, I really enjoy your program. Um, I think it's a very informative program. I think it's a way for people to get the message out and to um, enlighten our members who some of them seem to want to stay in the dark, but they need to wake up and understand that this is their union and it doesn't belong to the reps. That, that's very true. That's tell, very true. Tell the people a little bit about your history. Um, I have 27 years as a bus operator. I also uh, worked as chief of staff under the Samuelson administration. I, um, from 2010 till 2012 when I resigned. I also was the division chair of TA Surface and um, division vice chair also and um, doing arbitration hearings. Uh, was architect of the first one and only um, Transit Workers Assault Conference back in May of 2012. Um, certified bus uh, investigator, uh, accident investigator, 
So I have a pretty lot, a lot underneath my belt. Now you said something very important just now. You said you resigned. Yes. Why did you resign? Because once I realized that this administration really weren't wasn't about the membership, they was more so self-serving. Everyone still, was still talking about the uh, the Samuelson administration. Yes, the current administration okay. was pretty much self-serving. Uh, it appeared that it was more not that it appeared it was more important for um, President Samuelson to get into the international than it was for us to get a contract. Wow! Wow! Now, basically, um, you know from the jump we want to get started right you know we want to jump right into the fire here now we understand that um that samuelson used stall tactics for the current contract that we're in instead of wanting to go in and actually negotiate the contract fairly with the mta so from what i remember uh, for the 2012 contract the mta was trying to push zeros and the mta was trying to push part-time bus operators among a whole bunch of other concessions so what I want the members to under to know is, uh, is that true? And what was the whole game and scheme behind the stall tactics of this current administration and the president? Well, let me start by saying this. Um, the exact date was July 8th, 2011. There was a meeting that was called at President Samuelson's home. Um, I'm gonna give you the names of the people that attended that meeting. Uh, Richie Davis, uh, Donald Yates, uh, Steve Downs, Nick Bedell, Earl Phillips, um, Tony Utano, and John Chiarello. I wound up showing up late. Uh, by the time I got there, they had already decided on what the contract strategy was going to be. Uh, the contract strategy, according to them, and, and actually Richie Davis was the one that presented it to me once I arrived, and the contract strategy was stall until after the elections, and also they were going to push a public campaign. What, what elections exactly? The uh, union elections, the local 100 elections. Not the past elections, but the elections prior to that. Okay. Now, with those people that you named, would you consider those his, his friends? Like, do he have a good relationship with them? I don't think anybody up there really has a good relationship per se. I would say it's all about what you can get. Like I said, it's the most self-serving administration that I've ever seen in my life. Wow. And what, what kind of person is Samuelson? Is he a wholesome person? Like, you know, I see a lot of stuff on the internet. You know, he don't support African-American events. Uh, you know, he but he support Quill Connolly Day. And, you know, ever since I came to this job, I've been hearing that type of vibe. And I'm like, all these people cannot be wrong. Well, uh, he, if, I mean, again, if, he, if you want to hang out and, 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 and drink beers and crack jokes and stuff like that, he's great to hang out with. As far as being a president of this local, um, in my opinion, he's done a lousy job. Um, I'm gonna give you a perfect example. This past election cycle, uh, I think it was Columbus Day, uh, he asked to meet with me, him and Earl Phillips asked to meet with me. I met with Earl previously. They were actually trying to get me to um, drop off of the, the, the Transport Workers Union slate. They offered me a job which I refused, and the job was pretty much to, I think this is something about that they was trying to organize a bus company, and they had, a, um, the company was pretty much split between blacks and Hispanics, and he said he had an Hispanic that was down there uh, who's no longer at the union hall, and I was supposed to come in and take care of the black half of it. And my thing was, <laughs> like I told him, 
I wasn't going to uh, leave the Transport Workers United slate. I offered my help to them anyway. Okay. I said, if you still want me to come and help, I'll be happy to help because I'm all about union. I'm all about organizing. I'm all about helping the union. But if you need me to help, I'll help. But I'm not going to drop off the slate because I can't do that. I made a commitment to the Transport Workers United slate, and that's where I'm going to stay. And he proceeded to tell me we were going to lose. And I said, well, John, I could lose and and walk away with my head held high than to do with, um, I can't think what the guy's name is from the international that actually took the job with John and they broke up the slate for the international. And that's how John and them and Lombardo and them was able to waltz in to the international. Mm, 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 McCann, mm. Frank McCann, that's his name. Oh, Frank McCann, Yeah, okay. they actually offered him a job in a local and he took the job. And basically, that broke up the slate, so they weren't able to run. Gordon was going to run for president, I think. Um, not I think. Uh, Joe Campbell was on the slate also. And Frank McCann was on the slate. And I forgot the um, the young lady's name who was on the slate also. And uh, they offered him a job. He took it. And that basically devastated the slate. So then that left the door wide open for them to waltz right in at the convention. Wow. So Samuelson, he, he convincingly said that y'all go lose. Do you yeah. think because of corruptness? Well, I don't think there was a lot of issues with this election that I think that needs to be addressed. Um, like, for instance, the fact that there was times you go into the depot to talk to the membership and the chair who was in support of Samuelson would have the members get up and walk away, uh, walk out so you wouldn't be able to talk to them. I mean, I remember that going on when Roger first ran, and that's how I first met Roger, is because that's what, that's what happened at Gun Hill Depot. Um, Willie Blodge was the chair at the time, and um, I think uh, Ed Watt and John Farrington uh, went up there to talk to the members, and they, was threatened, they threatened to throw them down the steps. So I was at Elmo Park Depot, and um, Ed Watt came back and told me what happened. And I said, well, hell, when you're going back, because I've never been thrown down the steps before. <laughs> so I need to go up there to see what was going on. So they uh, made a date to go back up there. We uh, met across the street at the Checkers on the other side of the highway. Right. We talked. We went in. And again, the members wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to Roger and Ed. I was in uniform. And as a bus operator, I went in there and sat down and talked to them and said, you know, at least listen to what they have to say. Because it's ridiculous that you have that type of... Uh, voter suppression. And that's the thing that surprised me about uh, this union endorsing Bernie Sanders, because I'm quite sure if he understood and knew what, what transpired in his last election, there's no way in the world he probably would have wanted our support. Exactly. And and, I said the same thing. Yeah. And you know, Gun, Gun Hill Depot, if people don't know, that's a long flight of stairs. Yeah, it to is. Go, <laughs> to go from the crew up to the swing room, that's a long flight of stairs. And, and you know, like I said, it's just another example of map store people, old the old guard map store people, not liking Roger, and telling the mem and basically convincing the membership to go against Roger, basically, you but, know. But you know what was so amazing is that after he won, Willie Blige became one of Roger's closest confidants. It's amazing. It's amazing that again, and 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 if you look at again what happened when uh, when I ran for vice president under Samuelson in two thousand nine two thousand ten. Uh, we faced the same things uh, of where we would go into depots and uh, people wouldn't allow us to speak to the members or they would 
basically intimidate them. And, and that's one of the things that our members have to understand, that they should not fear their union rep. They should not fear their union chair. I mean, basically, you have the numbers. When somebody's threatening and you're afraid that you may not get overtime or you may not get a day off or whatever, there's something wrong with that issue, and it needs to, it needs to be fixed. And that was one of the things that we promised to do when Samuelson won the election in 2010. We, uh, the promise was to stop all of that intimidation of the membership and, and open the door and open elections. Because my thing is this, if you did the job properly, you wouldn't have to resort to those type of tactics in order to win. You should be running on your record and that's what should get you reelected. Not selling people jobs or buying people's loyalty for jobs up at the Union Hall, which is going on with the Samuelson administration. Uh, if you saw the turnover of the membership, I mean of the staff that was there, so many people uh, got sent got, was got sent back to their tools. Some people who didn't have tools to go back to wound up losing their jobs. Some people who were working there for 10 years or more. Now, the strange thing about it is that these people were paying, local, was paying dues, local 100 dues, even though they never worked for transit, but they were paying local 100 dues, and you still have that going on today where people have paid local 100 dues, but then they have no appeal rights that we have as members uh, with the MTA. So if, the, if, if uh, John decides he wants to fire them, he could just fire them with no recourse. And then what, the thing that kills me is that he makes them sign letters stating that if they want severance pay, then they, uh, they can't say anything. They got to sign a letter saying they can't say anything. Basically a disclosure form. So severance pay, that's what goes on in corporations. Mm -hmm. So he basically, he, he, re he really running 195 Montague Street. Like, like a, a corporation. corporation, basically, they, yeah, you know, they think they're in corporate America, these guys. Yeah. And, you know, basically, they, you know, they, again, they come around to these depots. And like I say, I, I don't know if you heard me say it before, but they, they think they're Frank Lucas and Bumpy Johnson yeah. dressed up and coming around and intimidating people. I mean, and, me, and meanwhile, the level of incompetence, you know, like I said, some of them know what they're doing. But the level of incompetence is just all off the charts because when you have people who you have members who basically all the time, right, like when they get go out on comp or when they have other situations where they need now some sound advice, they can't give it to them. Right. All these all these guys know is how to do the list. That's all these guys know is how to intimidate. That's all these, you know, when they go in these hearings, they don't know how to get stuff knocked down. They make deals. So basically, it's like, you know, basically, you know, like, you know, what are you sitting in there for? You yeah. know, I remember in, uh, I can't remember what year it was, but Tim Shimmerhorn was running for president at that time. And he came to Elmo Park Depot. And of course, the administration there at, uh, at Elmo Park was supporting Willie James. And we were told that people were told again to get up and leave. And I refused to leave out of the depot or leave out of the crew room because I wanted to hear what this man had to say. Because if I'm going to cast a vote, and that's just like with the general elections of this nation, could you imagine Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders coming out and tell you, well, don't listen to what this person has to say, you know, uh, get up and walk out and just don't listen to them. I mean, I think we should be able to hear and be treated as adults, but it's unfortunate that the membership of this union are not treated as adults because they're not allowed to form their own decisions based on the information that they receive. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I want to I want to rewind back a little bit because you said I want to take take the people back through the contract, of mm -hmm. the contract that we got this um, right now. It was a stall tactic. Right. He was waiting for the, the elections to to pass. Correct. 
So what happens after that? Well, basically, the, the, the stall just continued. It just continued, continued even after he got into the international. The stall continued because he didn't know how to come out of the stall. And it's the same thing. Uh, it's once you go into a strike or before you go into a strike, you better know how you're going to get your behind out of that strike because uh, it, it could do some serious damage to you. So if you walk into a strike, you better know how you're going to get out of it. That was one of the points that Toussaint uh, said it was when 2005 he had to get out while right. he was able to and um, alright so how did like certain things happen the tier 6 happened um, well that happened actually before the contract was uh, correct that happened before, before, right, the, that, that happened before the contract but, was ratified but how did the 5 years or 6 years or really it's a question mark to me top pay to my understanding, that was offered by John Samuelson to management the night that the contract expired um, at the Sheridan. So let's get that clear. John Samuelson, TWU Local 100 president, offered the five years top pay for new members. Correct. He, he made that offer to them, uh, and once they came back, he asked them to cost it out. And once they cost it out, um, and they brought it back to him. They brought the figures back to him. His reply to him was, "I can't do this because if I did, I wouldn't get reelected." <laughs> wow. So and and basically, um, but they had their hearts set on making sure that they got that eight point five million dollars to help to offset some of the debts that the union had, right? Right. The the thing with the um, the six or eight or whatever the million dollars was, it, right. it was it went into what's called the labor benefit account, which is something that wasn't. Um, that was originated in my uh, by Roger Toussaint. That wasn't originated by Samuelson. Samuelson got more money out of it, and he got uh, he received more by getting the um, the dental and I think the eyeglass. I think that we control that under the health care benefits, which the management used to administer the, administer that. Roger gave that up a while ago. That because we had, we used to administer the health benefit trust, and then Roger gave that up. I think in two thousand two contract when it was the whole forty five million dollars short or forty nine million dollars short. Um, so he started the labor benefit account. John basically used it more so to his advantage because again, that in my opinion, it's just a political slush fund. That's all it is. Wow, that's th this this guy. And he probably no nobody from his team would ever say that. Like that makes me upset that it seems like he don't care about um, you know, the new members. Like he throws them up under the bus. Well, I mean, I don't think he was prepared. I think it was more so a thing where he got elected and it was I'm lost, I don't know what to do next. Uh, because it wasn't so much he actually tried to get um Mark Kagan to come in. And you know Mark Kagan, he's the brother of uh, Supreme Lincoln, Court Justice. Supreme Court Justice, which Mark is, again, a brainiac when it comes to stuff like that. And Mark decided not to come on board, and then we were left with what we were left with, like, unfortunately, Nick Bedell and Steve Downs and so on and so forth. I mean, the self-proclaimed self -proclaimed brainiac. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, you know, basically it sounds like, um, you know, Everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody wants to be somebody. But you want to know something? If you don't have the training, if you don't have the knowledge, why would you want to, you know, why would you want to put yourself in that position? You know, but basically, just like you said, it's all it was all about getting to the international, basically stepping on the local and exactly. our members exactly. to get to the international. Because 
Um, you know, he doesn't have any negotiating skills. And I don't know how much of a, you know, from what I was told, he's not a true trade unionist, you know? We, 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 I mean, I've never seen negotiation sessions to where you would go in there and request something from the MTA. They would say no, and the session would be over. The negotiation session would be over. As a matter of fact, to show you the stalling tactics, the very first negotiation session that we had, and this is, should blow everybody's mind, the very first negotiation session that we had, John Samuelson wasn't there. He didn't show up. As a matter of fact, Earl was there. Dropping bombs tonight, that's a bomb. <laughs> yeah. So um, as, we, as we arrived into the room, Earl started telling people that the reason John wasn't there was because John's wife had a heart attack. What? Yeah. And so he kept telling everybody that as we kept coming into the room. So finally, Steve Downs came in, and Earl said that again in front of Steve Downs. And Steve Downs was like, John's wife ain't having a heart attack. So you standing there looking like a complete idiot because I don't know if that's what you were told to tell us or you came up that one on your own. But basically, like I said, the very first negotiation session, John Samuelson wasn't even there. Wow. So wow. who so will make up a lie about his wife caught a heart attack? Right. I mean, you know. This wh- man ain't lo- – let me tell you something. If he told to tell that lie, because I don't think somebody would just make up that lie for him. They better off using my goldfish diet like I used on that picture. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he said his, his if he, he this guy don't care about nobody. No. And you know. Was he drunk? Because you say he a party guy. Yeah. Well, I think what it was, again, it was part of the stall. It was part of the stall. It was all part of the stall. Um, the stall cost us greatly because, again, that's why he wound up having to turn to the, uh, to the governor. That's why he had to write that letter. Because the MTA was about to take us to arbitration. There's no doubt in my mind that it was about to take us to arbitration. And he know if that had happened, we would have lost. We would, have, we would now have one-person train operation. We would now have part-time bus operators. Because there's no doubt they, the union had no retort for that when, when management presented it. Actually, they gave a pretty lame retort talking about, well, I don't want to get too much into it because, again, you know, people will say, well, you're jeopardizing an upcoming contract or whatever. But all I can say is there was no retort for what they what they had for um for why they the reasons that they wanted part time bus operators and so on and so forth. Well, Nick so, Bedell did say that Samuelson is going for the money this time. Yeah, and he's going to have to give something up in order to get it. And in my opinion, it's going to be part time bus operators because you still to date have not sat down with anybody and talked to anybody of substance of anybody of knowledge because it's plain and simple to see plain to see that you have a bunch of lames around you and I think that's done on purpose because you don't want people that can challenge you. You don't want people that's going to challenge the decisions that's made. You want people that don't know what's going on, so then they think you know what's going on, you know. Right. So now basically it's from what it sounds like is that the MTA was willing to sit down and hash out a decent deal if he would have came to the table and went back and forth and negotiated, don't you think? Yeah, I don't know if it was a decent deal that they wanted because, again, their whole thing was that they wanted to um, they wanted us to give up and for whatever it was that we got. They wanted a cost-effective, as they call it, contract. So whatever it is that we received, they wanted us to give something up in return. But if you had prepared properly for that contract fight as opposed to just using that stall tactic that maybe you would have been able to beat them back other ways. I mean, right now, in my opinion, most unions in the city don't have leverage when it comes to bargaining. You don't have any leverage. You got the tail load that's basically a, 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 a noose around 
you know, every union's throat because if you, you can't strike, you go out on strike, then they hit you with the tail of law, they beat you backward, losing the dues checkoffs, then they hit you with the fines and so on and so forth. Or basically they can break they can break your union. They can pretty much dismantle your union with, with the fines and everything. We can't afford that. No, we can't. So <laughs> I don't I just don't think that this union, our local was prepared for anything other than stalling. And it got to the point to where you stalled so long, you had no way to come out of the stall. You had just no had no way to come out of it. Right, so that's why he had to go run to Governor Cuomo, and govern, and, and basically that's why he had to become Governor Cuomo's bitch. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I like the way that sounds. Oh, I, I know you love it. <laughs> so what, what kind of person is like Nick Bedell? Ooh, <laughs> person. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even put him in that terminology. Wow. Um, this guy was the one that pushed when the union ran the so-called rat campaign to eradicate rats from the subway system. I thought that made us the laughing stock of of uh, of labor. I mean, when you're talking about where you had a contest to have people in the subway take pictures of rats, and I think it was called the ugly rat contest and we actually somebody people took pictures and presented them online or whatever and they actually i think they presented the, the winner with a metro card or something something like that but just the thought that um to have us go into that type of labor union because first of all i mean everybody in the city will be gone but and the rats will still be here so to sit around and talk about you're going to have you want to eradicate rats and this is believe it or not was part of the public campaign for the contract what? Believe it or not, yes, this was part of the public campaign. This was Nick's, Nick Bedell's thing, and and it was sad that we would stoop that low to where I mean, at one point there was talk where they were uh, discussions where they were going to uh, possibly release mice in to Broadway or whatever the case may be. But then, of course, they were saying, "Oh no, no, we was joking," because I refused at first to go into any of those meetings because I just thought it was ridiculous. Because you're now turning the local 100, a great union, into a laughing stock of labor. Yeah, that, that's crazy. See, you know, I had, you know, respect for Nick Bedell until yesterday, where he he, he said something at the union hall where we told him we was gonna have Charles Barron on the show. And he was like, oh, I don't like that guy. Why you don't like Charles Barron? He came to my no neighborhood protesting a celebration with, with, with I think, the, the Mexicans Day of the Dead or whatever it was. Charles Barron was here last week. I said, Charles, you uh, what happened with this celebration? He said, it wasn't no celebration. It was white boys hanging bodies from trees, and I didn't leave until the police made them take it take down. Take it down, right. So Nick Bedell didn't tell the whole story. Nick Bedell, you have some answering to do. So don't be surprised because y'all think that progressive action is a joke. Do not be surprised if you see your name with signs in front of that union hall asking for you to be released because of what you said. Personally, I, I think for uh, someone that's supposed to be in charge of education, I think he's way too involved in unions business, in union business. For, again, for someone that never worked for transit in his life, as a matter of fact, he tried to tell me one day that he was my union brother. And I told him, you will never be my union brother because you didn't bleed for this company. You didn't cry for this company. You didn't lose money for this company. So until you work for this company and you've gone through what we have gone through working for the MTA, New York City Transit Authority, just because you're paying union dues, you're only paying union dues to keep your job. So when it comes time to vote, you vote 
for the current administration. Mm -hmm. A very expensive job, too. Okay, yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's ridiculous where he wanted to bring in uh, somebody to talk about bus rapid transit. Now, again, uh, as I stated, I'm a certified, I've traveled all over the country teaching fundamentals of bus collision investigation. Uh, one of the people that I used to work with doing that, uh, they were one of the engineers for SBS, or that they call it here in New York, but it's called Bus Rapid Transit every place else. The end result of SBS Bus Rapid Transit is to go back to an unmanned light rail system. Mm. Okay, that's the end result. So he wanted to bring somebody in to talk about it because he's an environmentalist. You know, he's about bicycles and clean air and so on and so forth, which is a good thing. But you got to remember, you're working for a transit union, uh, which deals with buses, that deals with trains and so on and so forth. You cannot slight the people who are the main uh Fund, funding of your union, and that's your, your bus operators, train operators, conductors, cleaners, and so on and so forth. So he wanted to bring this guy up here to, to talk about um, bus rapid transit and why we should expand it. And I tried to explain to him and, and John that uh, in the beginning when they first start bus rapid transit, they inundate the lines with service, but as it starts running more smooth and smoother, they start cutting service on those lines. So eventually you're gonna cut, you're gonna lose runs. And you lose runs really, uh, because remember, they're using our ticks. For every our tick that they use, use, you lose two buses. So that means you're losing an operator. There's too much going on out here with these buses that's, that's not being addressed, like with accidents and uh, speed and them cutting running time and so on and so forth. And what's being done about that, absolutely nothing. And and what's up with uh what's his name Willie Rivera, isn't that his like that's what he's supposed to do? Well, yeah, yeah, Willie Rivera, that's his cup of tea. So basically, I'd like to know what is he doing? He's in Facebook debating with me all day. Yeah, he's right. about he's nonsense. A, he's the division chair of TA Surface. Um, Donald Yates, division chair, division chair of, of Manhattan. Manhattan. Right. Um, John Day's division chair of of um MTA Bus. I mean, you you have a problem right now to where. My opinion, you have to stop telling people to slow down, slow down, slow down, because you're still putting the onus on the operator. It's too much of the onus being put on the operator. First of all, as management continue to cut running time, bus operators are going to, of course, drive faster. Mm -hmm. Of course, they shouldn't, but they're going to. So, But with that being said, what, what, what's the downside effect is that is an increase in accidents. So what you should be doing is making a correlation between them cutting service and the increase in accidents uh, because there is an increase in accidents. So if you want to slow buses down, if you really truly want to slow buses down, then put the running time back on the lines there the way it used to be, and then the bus, the bus operator has no choice but to slow down. I don't understand how they decrease the running time. Passengers, there's more passengers on the bus more than ever. These people taking their time on the bus. You got to be a certain place at a certain time. You're not there, you penalize. Right. And one of the things that they have to understand, because some of these guys haven't been behind the wheel of a bus in years, but they don't understand that when you get to that bus stop, and let's say, for instance, uh, because running time has been decreased so much, now two or three buses have passed somebody standing in a bus stop. Now you're the next bus operator that they could, they could pull into that stop and pick those people up. You're the one to get the flack. You're the one to get into the fight. And you have it's not your fault. But the problem is that we're the face 
of transit. We're the ones that they see out there. You yourself, uh, Tramel, as a conductor, when the trains are late, they, they come at you. They don't call up Pendergrass. They don't call up. They don't know you nobody know. else. Right. That, that's who they, they, they come at. They come at us. So that's something where we need to help uh, on the lines where to stop the nonsense from going on to where you, you first of all, you need public service announcements out there explaining a lot of different things to these uh, to the customers. I'm pulling out of a bus stop the other day. Bus pack. Can't nobody uh, fit on the bus, which I don't ride with people uh, beyond my white line. Which is a federal law and you're not exactly, supposed to. Exactly. So as I'm pulling out of the bus stop, some person, this guy came running up and he's banging on the side of the bus as the bus is moving. As I'm pulling out of the bus stop. So he's not thinking about the fact that he could slip and fall and go under the wheel. Now if that happens, you're, you're looking at me. Right. Yeah. You're looking at me. So therefore, help us out, uh, New York City Transit Authority by making public announcements, making public service announcements, spend some money informing these passengers what they should or should not do. Don't sit get on the radio and talk about make me seem like a thief by saying, well, if you, uh, you know, something's missing on the bus, uh, if you find or if it's turned in, please make sure that you turn it in to your crew. Like, I don't know how to do that. A woman had, to, had came, because when they make these announcements, everybody on the bus could hear it. So a woman came up to ask me, she said, do y'all steal? I said, oh, no. Wow. She goes, well, why do they say that? Like, y'all don't know to turn this stuff in if somebody, you know, gives it to y'all. I said, because that's the, 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 the attitude of the people that we work for. Right. That's the attitude. It's a combination of things which ties into social engineering. Right. It's a combination of they don't, um, you know, they don't, you know, like they're out of touch with society and they're out of touch with real life. A lot of these people who make these rules. And then also they understand the new generation of this membership. Right. Because, see, there's no reason, and I know you see it, there's no reason why people should be going in the office for discipline for trip sheets. There's no reason for you to be going in the office for VCR cards. These are things that when I started, I have 16 years, that, that was second nature to us. Right, Okay. Right. Now, guys did, you know, people still did things like, okay, you know, if they were getting relieved on the road, they gave the trip sheet to the, to, to the, you know, to the, you know, to the late person who was pulling in. Because I remember I used to have a stack of trip sheets I turned in. Okay, but uh, but basically when you talk, you, you know, when you and then when you talk about um, them not teaching rookies properly, right? Because it was one time I never forget it again. A rookie came up to me, I stopped me in the elevator. Now you know I still know how to read the paddle reports, but I taught him how to read his paddle report. Right. He could he didn't know how to read his paddle report right. first day on his own. Yeah. So this is absurd. It's like. This person went through line training all this time, and you mean to tell me there was nobody that could teach him how to read this paddle report? One of the biggest problems that they have is that they give students to any and everybody, which I was totally always against because you're not you're not giving them you're not giving them the proper training. I never forget when I came on the job. Uh, I had this guy that was showing me stuff that he should have showed me, and he was acting like it was some big top secret that oh I shouldn't be showing you this or I shouldn't be showing you that, but yet the same person was spending all day trying to convince me that I should quit the job before I even get on it. But yet, he, he's going to tell me about how he was going home to sit in his pool and how he was putting his kids through college. Mm. But yet, I'm supposed to not stay here yeah. again. And you know it was all about skin color. Yeah, oh, of course. Now, the thing about what uh, MTA, MTA do not hold the customers responsible beyond the fare box. No. Once they pay, it's free for all. Transit want to make money, people hold doors every day. Find them. Right. Find them because 
when we do something out on the road and it causes any type of delay, mm-hmm. you either get, you go pay for that delay. That's right. You hit a signal, you paying for the delay of you slowing up the train traffic. Customers hold doors all day long. These guys with the Showtime, I love, I love seeing it. One day they go kick somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm quite sure it doesn't happen already. Oh yeah. I can't answer customers' questions with orchestras on the platform. Right, right. I'm not talking above that. That's right. You want them, y'all allowing that, then ask, send the customers up to the, the token booth. With the bus tracking system that they have in play now, they actually, uh, again, they can see everything that you're doing as far as uh, how fast you're going and what stop you, what time you get to what stop and so on and so forth. They actually now are telling dispatchers, because dispatchers, line dispatchers, they don't want, you know, they want you to run smooth because if you're running smooth, then that means there's less work that they have to do. <laughs> they, have okay? a great, they have a good day, like exactly. I said, yeah. So now what they're doing, they're telling people to, um, like if I know I, I, I know there's certain stops that I get to early and I want to load up because I know if I don't load up, then that's it. You know, I know I'm, I'm in the hole now. So to try to keep it straight. So now they're telling the, the dispatchers to make sure that if they see, because they got their little iPads now, they can see where everybody, you know, everybody's located at. So now they're telling everybody, you know, telling the dispatchers that get on the radio and tell a person to slow down. So now if I'm two or three minutes ahead of schedule, because they don't even want you two or three minutes ahead of schedule. At one point, they wouldn't even say anything about that. As a matter of fact, I remember years ago, they used to have the sign up in the, in the uh, depots and used to say five minutes late and you're still on time. What you mean? That means you're still on time, <laughs> which I don't know what kind of math they're using. But uh, now they're telling everybody they don't want you to run on time. They want you to run late. But again, think about the complications that you're putting that bus operator under when they get to that bus stop and people can't get on that bus. I mean, we've all seen the pictures on Facebook where you have uh, a passenger or customer, as they like to call them now, standing in front of the bus and refuse to let the bus leave. Or like I said, somebody wants to get into a fight because you may have someone that may be on their last leg as far as being late. Now, it's no fault of mine that they're late because they probably was late when they got up that morning. Uh But who are they going to take it out on you. if they can't get on that bus? Yeah, you. And, and what's crazy with the with the MTA and, and these latenesses and it's not even they base these things on a perfect world. Right. A lot of swing rooms is closed down. We are humans. You go to one in like the B fifteen, you gotta go to Warhol Hospital to use to use the um bathroom. You gotta go to Foot Locker. You gotta do all these things to go use the bathroom. What if this person gotta use the bathroom? In route, right, and I, I, I think at this point in time, for us to be talking about bathrooms when Roger put it in a contract, right, for us to have bathrooms, and all you got to do is find a location. And again, it's not just at the end of the lines because I don't know why people think that I'm supposed to hold myself <laughs> until I get to the end of the line to go to the bathroom. You should have a list on every route on every depot route you should have a list of where these bathrooms are on each side of the street but the mta is now allowed being allowed by the current administration to not enforce these things so uh it's up to it's up to the union to enforce it if it's in the contract that's like we was talking tonight about the cameras that they're putting on bus operators now and i think uh mr mcnally said that there's a perb or they filed a perb case on this and i'm trying to figure out a perb case on a grievance on a uh, yeah on a contract grievance which tells me that you're lying (laughs) plain (laughs) and simple that tells me that you're lying he probably meant perv 
Because yeah, right. P E R V. That was messed up. Wow. Bro. Yeah. So that that basically tells me that you're lying. That there is no perp case because it's a, if you tell. I mean, and he basically stated in his next post because I asked why why perp and he said because they're. Uh, what he said, they're changing the contract or something like that. Well, that's a contract grievance. That's supposed to go in front of Edelman, not Perb. Nah, McNally had a flashback about Texas. That's <laughs> oh, what, wow. That's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, y'all go stop attacking. You got skeletons and you got more than that in your closet. It's not cool to even have that type of aura around you and then you cool with the person who be starring this stuff but some people have ravens in their closets yeah <laughs> i mean that's the thing that could, i couldn't understand either i mean the, the people that you're now friends with were the ones that put your business out there like that which was wrong it was totally wrong because uh uh that was a personal issue something that this this and i'm gonna call him a brother because i call him everybody a union brother no matter what i'm gonna call that it was wrong but now you're sitting up here siding with the same people that treated you like dirt. It's like, what's wrong with you? I mean, I understand a lot of people love that money that they get up at that union hall. I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it's, it's, it's great money. It's good money. I mean, in order to work that, to make that kind of money as a bus operator, I would pretty much have to live at the depot. I'm talking about 20-hour days, seven days a week, you know, so on and so forth. But Again, that wasn't why I went to the to the to the union hall. As a matter of fact, I had lost the election and John asked me to come up there to the union hall and I told him then that you don't owe me anything. You know, if I if I if you don't have anything legit for me to do, then I have no problems with driving a bus. And as a matter of fact, um I had talked about resigning, I think it was like June or July that earlier that year, and I decided I stuck around a little bit longer. And um, people were telling me then because everybody was, you know, heard me saying it and they were saying, well, you shouldn't leave because the money's good. I had a union car, I had a union credit card and so on and so forth. But that's not why I was there. I was there to affect change. I was there that I wanted to make uh, our jobs as a bus operator easy. I wanted to make our jobs as conductors easy, train operators easy. I mean, right now you have a let's say you got a four hour swing or five hour swing. And there's no place for you to sit comfortable because the benches that they have in the in the crew rooms, you can't sit there. So the only other your only other alternative, if you don't live close by the depot, is to go sit in your car and take a nap in your car. So now if the weather's too hot, you're running your car because of the air conditioning. If the weather's too cold, you're running your car for the heat, which means that if you got a, an exhaust leak, you're talking about a lot of operators uh, or people are putting their lives in danger because they of number one, trying to take care of the family, so you got to pick these big pay and runs. But the problem is, is that we need quiet rooms in every location to where we can go sit back and relax and 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 take a quick nap. Because I don't see, I mean, some of the biggest companies in the world allow you to take a nap. Exactly, <laughs> and and you know, this is something that I've stressed on on previous shows also is that they have, you know, they actually, you know, they have the rule where you can't sleep on the property you can't sleep on the clock but i'm saying to myself you know, i used to drive for academy bus mm -hmm. and they have and and they have quiet rooms on their premises with big leather lounge chairs that recline right. all the way back like a bed right and they basically promote you getting rest right. because they know that you drive machinery and drive buses but the thing that kills me they put these little stickers on the buses now telling you about that you should get proper rest but one of the things i i when i used to go to the school room and talk to the new students i would let them know from the get-go you're stress level starts the minute you lay your head on your pillow. And the reason that is is because you're afraid of oversleeping. 
because you basically, know, yeah, basically, yeah. you know what's going to happen if you oversleep. So what happens? You wake up in the middle of the night. The first thing you do, you look over at the clock. OK, it's still not time for you to get up. So you try you lay your head back down and you try to go back to sleep, but you're still not going into that deep REM sleep that you need in order to be refreshed. Mm-hmm. And again, the transit authority has they can alleviate a lot of the pressures that we face under under as as uh, employees. But if for some reason, it doesn't seem like that, that that's what they want to do. Now you want to train cameras on people and watch them operate. Now they want to sit up there and tell you, we want to make sure that you're operating safely. Well, the amount of accidents I have should tell you that. Yeah. You know, uh, again, stop telling people that operating with one hand. So now if I take my hand off the steering wheel or whatever, I got a violation. I'm looking at a violation. And of course, it's going to have sound because a lot of the buses have sound now. And a lot of operators don't understand it. They don't know that. That these not only do you have cameras around the buses now, but those buses are now equipped with sound with audio. Wow. And and this thing is just it's just amazing. So with the cameras, the thing that kills me is that that's why I was I, I was uh shocked to find out tonight that they filed a wink wink perb. Uh uh <laughs> That's not what Tommy McNally meant. That's we know we know what he meant. Okay, but the, <laughs> but the thing that kills me is that the only thing I've seen is that they have they're passing out petitions for bus operators to sign to so they could take these very same petitions and give them to management. Now I'm saying when we were trying to stop you from closing the 126th Street Depot, and it's not closed, but management actually wanted to give 126th Street uh um, 100 Street Depot, That's right. and then they was going to move the people from 100 Street to Mother Clara Hill. The union decided, no, we don't want that. That's right, Richie Davis and company. That's right, wow. they decided that we don't want that. Mm-hmm. You know, even going back to what you said about the sleeping, now it's still well, because it's crazy there, it's still well. The, you usually could cut, cut the lights off, give mm-hmm. them the lights. They put a mechanism in where the lights is on full throttle all times. Right. Yeah, and, and, and think about it again. It doesn't make any sense. I would much rather, I mean, you're off. I'm paying you anyway. So I would much rather you go take a nap some damn way so then when you go to do your second half, you're refreshed. Right. You're refreshed. I mean, but again, you're talking about a company that uh, <laughs> don't want you to go to the bathroom. Because if you use the bathroom too much and now they want you to call console every time you go to the bathroom. And then if you call console every time you go to the bathroom, then they want to send you down to the Mac. Talk about that you got bladder problems yeah. or you got kidney problems or whatever the case may be. No, I drink a lot of damn water. Well, who are they <laughs> Who are they to diagnose you? Right, but this is, I mean, because now they're talking about doing the sleep apnea thing, you know, because of uh, the Metro North uh, guy that fell asleep behind the, uh, the, the train. Rockefeller, yeah. yeah. So now they're talking about sleep apnea and so on and so forth. But again, your company is contributing to the lack of sleep that people are receiving because they can't fall into a deep REM sleep. Well, well I, you got well, you got to be careful not to say that too much because they'll mess around if we get in the contract and they'll be like, okay, now you know, now you can't work. Uh, you know, the limit to work now will be ten hours a day. Well, they, they saying that now. Yeah, they they, they, they say that they're now. They're talking RTO, about that. RTO. Yeah, they're talking about that. RTO. They they a train operator came to me the other day and said the crew office said I can't work. Um, no more than 10 hours. I said, huh? They deny him the job. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's the whole point of why they want part-time bus operators. Again, you bring in part-timers, you don't have to pay any overtime. Now, let's talk about the pension issue. 
and the pension ramifications of that. Now you're with the tier six, and what you're doing, you're cutting the contributions that the members can make, but you're also cutting the contribution that the um, the MTA is going to make, and everybody, all uh, the city is going to make now. So now the thing that kills me where I see my union is talking about we're going to fix tier six. How? That's not the How? I um, want to know that too. First I mean, of all, you sat silent when, when, when it was going through. You sat silent. You didn't say a thing. You didn't put up a fight. You didn't do anything. None, none of the unions did, in my opinion. They didn't do anything to stop Tier 6. So now uh, we went up there. We lobbied in March. Uh, I see a bill that was finally written on it, and from what I can see from the bill, it only pertains to transit workers, which means the chances of getting that done is zero. But now that management has been allowed to save millions and millions of dollars, that means in order for you to change that, you're going to have to give up millions and millions of dollars, and where are you going to get this money from? And, and then the rumor with Samuelson saved us twenty-five, fifty-five. He's credited for that. Yeah, well, that was that's what he said when Tier 6 first came out. He said... You know, well, it was it, because it didn't affect the people that was on the job already. So he pretty much termed that as a victory. As a victory, right. Which, which it wasn't because, again, you're now talking about a tier two, a two tier system amongst your members. But because at that particular time he was basically uh, going, trying to. You know, get the people that was on the job. He was trying to get them. Look what I did for you. You know, it didn't affect you, but the new people that are coming on the job, that's who it's going to affect. Absolutely. That, that's crazy. That's crazy. Now, what I want to get into, right, is the union hall and how, um, and Nick Bedell and how it came to be that we ended up as, you know, with 195 Montague Street as our home. 195 Montague Street, in my opinion, was the worst real estate. Uh, buy that we could have made, uh, and and basically they've already proven that pat that fact by trying to buy another floor and they couldn't. Okay, <laughs> for whatever reason, yeah, they tried to buy the basement. I think it was, and it was too. I heard it was too expensive, or whatever the case may be. Was the basement is gonna be the country club? Yeah, I guess so. No, <laughs> no, what it was for parking. I think they wanted it for parking, but they couldn't afford to buy it. So you've already shown that that property was a bad deal to be to made now. Before that property was purchased, it was offered to John sometime earlier, and he turned it down. As a matter of fact, Jonathan Cohen, who was the uh, attorney who was handling our real estate uh, deals, he basically told John about that property, and John said, under no circumstances do I want uh, floors. I want to buy a building. So what happened was, um, and I found this out from some people in stations that one of the guys, we, when we first, let me go back a little. When we were first trying to purchase the uh, old DMV building, it was three properties there that we was trying to purchase for, I think it was about $30 million. Uh, the old DMV building in Brooklyn? Yeah. I just want the people to know. Right, on, on That's on Skimmerhorn that's Street. on Skimmerhorn Street. We was going to purchase that, that building, the uh, old hip center that was there, and plus that parking lot that was on the corner of, um, that was on the corner of Flatbush and Skimmerhorn. So we had three properties that we were going to purchase for $30 million. Now, a deal had already been worked out with the Department of Parole. They were pretty much going to pay our, um, they were going to pay the mortgage. So none of the money from the union had, was going to come out. For some reason, for some reason, the international denied us that purchase. It was some can I say bullshit? Go ahead. No, <laughs> say go ahead. It. But by all means, say it. <laughs> there was some bullshit from the international that we couldn't buy that property because we weren't going to occupy 
um, all of the buildings. Now, again, they knew what we what the plan was with that because when Jim Little and and, and Gordon came up to uh, check out the property. I laid it all out for them what the plan was. The plan was to develop that property like it's like it's going on right now. The property is being developed. I think it's a big residential tower that they're putting up there now. Uh, so the plan was basically to, uh, and I gotten basically I gotten this plan from the seller of the property. He gave me the, and I forgot to bring that. I'll I'll, I'll get that to y'all so you can get it out there. But basically, uh, it was to get a developer to develop the property for us and basically you lease the land to them and in the beginning what you do you uh sell air rights to them because that's where a lot of real estate uh make money in new york city on air rights alone so you're talking about a property that could have made this union the richest union in the in the, in the nation in the world in my opinion but for whatever reason the international which i think the fear of that the money that that would have brought in and how strong that would have made us that's why they denied it and lombardo was one of the people that denied it the current president was one of the people that denied it which he'll tell you all day long that he didn't and that's bullshit um so they denied it um like i said uh that property the 195 montague street oh let me go back a little further before the property of 195 Montague was purchased, they were going to purchase uh, another property on Montague Street. That was that corner property, that little angle building. Uh, I think it's a TD Bank building. Yeah, TD Bank, yeah. yes. Uh, we were in negotiations to buy that building. And what happened was uh, the person had bought the building for about $38 million but about a year prior. But then what he wanted, he wanted to sell it for $50 million. But what happened was they couldn't get the appraiser to appraise the property for that much money. So thank God, because it wasn't worth that kind of money. So um, the union couldn't buy that property. So come to find out that um, when they came to the, the 195 Montague Street right, building. Before you get into that, so mm -hmm. Samuelson was actually making a good decision. Correct. At, at that point. Correct. All right. Now, the, the one of the things with the DMV property that killed me is that you had a lot of opposition uh, people who were against us buying a property. They put out all kinds of literature about the um, the DMV building having asbestos, which we knew about, and we were going to get it abated. So, but we knew about all of that, but they were putting out all kinds of information. Oh, uh, the other problem is, is that you got people from the Department of Parole or pro pro Probation that's going to accost our members. Now, that wasn't true because they were going to come in on the same interest that they were coming on on Skimmerhorn, and all our members were going to enter on the um, Livingston Street side of the building because the building had two entrances. So they were, so I'll, we were never going to mix. But this is the information that these idiots put out there because, again, politics. And that's the biggest problem in this union, and that's what's killing this union is politics. Of course. You okay. know, pol politics to them, again, just wanting to be in control and, and basically, you know, like, a, you know, not being educated and just, again, just pure incompetence. Right. You know, so, and now I also want to now also finish the one ninety five. Okay. So <laughs> we we uh, now we come to the one ninety five Montague Street building. Um, apparently, the person that was handling that property, the real estate person, um, went to school with Nick Bedell, from what I was told, and that's why we wound up buying that property. Now, when we went, now people keep saying it's three floors. It's not three floors. It's two and a half floors. 
It's not three floors. It's two and a half floors. We spent almost $30 million on two and a half floors, which is ridiculous. That's right, because we only have half of the fourth floor because the training and child care fund is on one side, and then the city is on the other side. Right. Oh, yeah, I, I noticed that when I went up there. Yeah. Right. Now, now I'm about to drop a, you want might want to hit that bomb sound again. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Yeah, he might hear about to say something crazy. Let me let me cue it up. How does it sound? Oh yeah. <laughs> Funk Master Flex, eat your heart out, baby. Now, <laughs> he ain't got nothing on us tonight. Our highest paid renter at 195 Montague is the MTA because of the skills and upgrading training. Okay. So there they think about it. <laughs> if they decide that they want to get rid of the skills and upgrading training, then that means that we're liable for that money where you could have bought a building, which there was another building that was available before uh, you purchased 195 Montague Street. Now, they're going to sit up there and tell you that they were in due diligence and the whole nine yards, but we walked away from due diligence before. So that doesn't matter. We walked away from the due diligence with the, uh, the Skimmerhorn property. There was a property at on West 35th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue that uh, I couldn't even get John and, and Earl to look at. They wouldn't even go look at it. Now, this was a 12-story building. They wanted $27 million for a 12-story building. Remember, like I said, that we spent close to $30 million on two and a half floors. Okay. <laughs> that is sound crazy. Yeah, but, that is lopsided, <laughs> very. So this, this property was on West 35th Street, right around the corner from Penn Station, Herald Square, the whole nine yards. 12 stories, we could have took the top four. You still had eight floors to rent out. Um, for some reason... These cats wouldn't go look at it because they was hell-bent on moving to Brooklyn. And uh, they kept saying, well, the majority of our members live in Brooklyn. But then you're disenfranchising the members that don't live in Brooklyn. Yeah, it should have been a, more of a central location. Exactly. Right. You know, Manhattan is more of a neutral ground for everybody. Exactly. So now what are you doing? You're still spending extra money to... Um, for Mapstower to have their meeting, their meetings in a different place, and then for uh, Westchester, they they got a, they having different issues in different places and so on and so forth. So you put your you put your union hall in a centrally located area to where everybody it's 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 yeah. uh, accessible yeah. to everyone. Right, because you have at Penn Station, you have the Long Island Railroad, you have the Path Train for people who live in Jersey, you have the the one. The, you have all, and you have all the subway lines. Exactly. And then um, it was crazy. They wasn't forward thinking because now they holding shop steward classes in, in other boroughs. Right. Instead of keeping it in a central location, because they spend it for these places, I guess, in the other boroughs. If we don't own the properties already. Exactly. And and the building, like I said, it was a nice sized building. As a matter of fact, myself, uh, Curtis Tate, and um, Robert Taylor, who was the IT person, we went and looked at uh, the. The building. We didn't go inside, but we looked at it. Now, granted, the building needed some work, but I look at it this way. Even if you had purchased the building, like I said, it was for $27 million negotiable. Even if you got it down to 24 then you took out a loan for another 25 and then you rent it out because right next door to that building was a brand new Wyndham Hotel. Um, they again, the area is built being built up. You see what they're getting ready to do with the new Penn Station and the uh, the uh, post office. So you. You would have made some money. You could have made some money because, again, the real estate in that area is, is going to skyrocket if it's not already. But you settled on um, 
doing this. And and the thing that kills me is one of the reasons that I was told by Earl Phillips the reason that they did this was because that's what 32BJ did, which, again, they're not as large as us. They're not us, and I'm tired of doing what everybody else do, and it's the same thing with the contract, which we'll get into when you're ready about pattern bargaining and all of that other stuff. Yeah, we could get in that. We could get into oh, that. Oh, yeah, now. definitely. We could get into that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we could get into that now, matter of fact. Yeah, my biggest issue is that we have unions in the city has have allowed management to lock us into this pattern bargaining of, well, whatever so-and-so get, you have to take the same thing too. Now, we had, in my opinion, which is the perfect storm with all of these unions being without contract at the same time. That was the perfect storm because then you could have dictated whatever you wanted to dictate at that point just by the mere threat of a strike. And now you got to the point to where people are even afraid to even mention the word strike, which is ridiculous um, because of the Taylor law. But yet with with the police, fire, sanitation, corrections, us, um, teachers, you're talking about uh, a great number of people, not just that. That's just the workers. I'm talking about their families, our families who now can basically elect or unelect anybody that we want to. That's great political power that we have not used and we have not utilized, that that's something that we need to use and we need to utilize. Because again, we just keep taking uh, junk. I mean, one of the things that I forgot the young man said on, on the website that he's been here for 14 years and all he's made is $12 an hour. I've been here for 27 years and I've made less than that. And so you mean to tell me that in all of this time we have not, I could not average a dollar a year I think that's what it actually was. Right. It was like a dollar. Yeah. yeah I know who said that, Ruben. Yeah, yeah. that's and, his name. And, and, yes. it, and it's a shame that, you know, you you have not you have not averaged a dollar a year raise because we keep getting these these percentages. I mean, you, you have to start bargaining in different ways because management is bargaining differently now. Just like I said earlier, they did not come out and say they didn't have money. They came out from the get go and said if you want uh, a raise, you're gonna have to pay to get it. You want they wanted a revenue neutral contract. So if, if we don't change the way that we negotiate contracts, then we're going to keep falling into the same old shoe every contract. And then what's amazing about that is that the police, the PBA, they putting out all these advertisements right. about people, families right. talking about they can't afford to live in the city. Now, they make way more money than we do. Exactly. If they can't afford to live in the city, how can we afford to live in the city? I call, you know. I call us transit refugees. Yes. We over there in Pennsylvania. We in Jersey. We upstate. They 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 shucking and driving on our um passes with Long Island Railroad and Metro North still owing people money to MTA. Right. I just refinanced not too long ago. I have a two family home. I just refinanced. So in, and with the appraisal, they did uh rents comparisons in the neighborhood. Now you're talking about Bushwick. Bushwick, which was areas that nobody wanted to live in. Hell, most of Brooklyn, nobody really wanted to live in other than uh, Brooklyn Heights and Park Slope and so on and so forth. Somebody in, uh, in Bushwick is paying $4,000 a month for rent. $4,000 a month for rent. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. And I think it's going by that thing Charles Barron talked about last week. AMI. The, the AMI. That's mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and and... It's just a whole bunch of corruptness, but like we can't afford that. No, we can't. No, we can't afford we that. We can't afford. That's why there's so many transit couples. To me, a good job is you don't have to pair up with somebody. You should be able to have your salary 
and and get together. You shouldn't be you combine two salaries just to survive. That's right. But see what it is too. Our members have been beaten down so much, and 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 I've never seen. We we keep devaluing ourselves. We keep we we don't think that we should make any more. When I keep hearing, I'm talking to a, a brother the other night, and I'm talking about how uh, we should be making a hundred thousand dollars. Once you get to a certain amount of years on this job, you should be making a hundred thousand dollars. You shouldn't have to sit there and and basically live at these depots and live live at these uh these barns and stuff in order to make that kind of money. Then you know years later they posted on and and the post talking about how much money you made. You made a hundred and this thousand dollars, but meanwhile they don't post how much you spent how much time you spent away from your family in order to make that ain't nobody giving us crap i mean we're working for that right we're busting our behinds working i mean we you you're talking about uh, again as a bus operator in order for me to make a hundred thousand dollars i gotta sleep at the depot i got a 20 hour day seven days a week okay so when do i get to, to see my family when do i get to enjoy my grandchildren if i'm working like that and then you wonder why we're dying two years after we retire that's why because the job is literally killing us. Well, they don't. I mean, you know. Well, they don't. I'm sure they don't have a care in the world about. You know, as long as the service is filled and the run is filled, they can care less. Yeah, but know? see, the the thing is, is, and this is the problem that I have with not only just management, but I have with the union also. When you're making two hundred and seventy thousand dollars, I could never make that kind of money. I don't care who you are or what you're doing. No, no, no union rep should be making that kind of money. Nobody should be making that kind of money. Our, um, like I said, in, in Local 100, you're talking about a lot of VPs, a lot of, uh, what's the name, are making over $100,000. These cats are not doing eight hours. They're not even, most of these cats ain't even coming to work. There's no accountability no. up at that union hall right now. No accountability. No. And Zero. And then there, you know, people complain on Facebook in our group and go all the time about how they can't reach out to the reps. Right. They email them, they call them, they text them, and they can't reach and, and they can't reach out to them. Now, you know? one one of the funny things is with uh, with Steve Downs when he made mention of John Samuelson and he pretty much said that this was a part time job. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know why people are surprised for by that. Before John even got the job, it was a matter of fact. I was looking for the chief article where he stated that he would only be going to Washington maybe once or twice a, a month. He put that in the chief. Okay, so I don't understand why people are surprised by that when he basically stated that before he even got the job that he wouldn't be going down there. Well, well, everybody doesn't read the chief. Right. You so know? what does a, a John Samuelson day consist of? <laughs> <laughs> when he's actually there working, what does what does the day consist of? Well, right now I could I could honestly say that John is not running the union. He's not running the union because a lot of times he doesn't come to work. Who's running the union? Uh, probably Steve, uh, probably Nick. Um, well, probably or they are. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. I mean, you, you got a bunch of people running around doing some everything. Um, it's, it's, there's no it's, – it's, like I said, it's too much about friendships up at that union hall. It's too, and, and it's not even real friendships. It's more so about who could bring me the votes. Well, shout out to Steve Downs. The real union president that came up to the show and had a real debate. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Give a shout out to Steve. I don't take nothing from Steve Downs. You know, you know and, and I I appreciate Steve for coming up here because it was the tension was thick. He know it seems like that we biased, but the whole thing is this: one only one side is telling the story. Right. The other side is scared. Right. None of these guys. Willie Rivera. He know we got the show. 
oh, come up to the Union Hall so I can teach you about history. No, this ain't about me. No, I have to laugh about something that he said, that he doesn't allow this junk on his on his TA Surface Insight. What's that, a, a, a group? Yeah, it's a, it's a Facebook group. I was actually uh, taken off that group because there's so much censorship going on on that group. As a matter of fact, uh, Stephen Thomas was the president. And, 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 and again, to show you how, how things have gotten so convoluted, Stephen Thomas, J.P. Patafio, Willie Rivera, they all ran on the same ticket. They all ran on the same ticket. But you wouldn't think that the way that there's so much hatred Oh, no, going they was right talking now. about each other. Wives today, that's right. why I had to make that post. And Willie Rivera was like, yeah, you called me a racist. That's why I ran down on you with five people. That's not tough. No, it's not. That's not. You ran, what you expect him to do? Two people is enough. Right. It's not. But see, you, you, you censor. I, matter of fact, what happened was um, they had posted something on the site and uh, talking about how Steph was giving away the house at an a arbitration hearing. So my what I wrote, and I wrote it at midnight because I knew what they did. They censored stuff before it got posted. So I wrote it at midnight thinking that it would slip through because I figured they would sleep at that time. So what it was, <laughs> <laughs> what it was Willie uh, sent me a message back personally saying if I wanted to know, because basically what I said was, well, if Steph was giving away the house, where the hell were y'all at? What were y'all doing while Steph was giving away the house? Were y'all just sitting there watching this so then you can go online and report about it? So my question was, well, where the hell were y'all at? So his thing, his reply to me was, well, if I wanted to know where they were, I should have asked them. And I said, I did. <laughs> I did that in my post. So what they did, they took me off the website. So I, could I have gone back on there? I would never go back on that website because I don't believe in censorship. I believe in people being able to speak their mind, whether you agree with me or not. We should be able to sit down and argue, debate, whatever it is that we have to do, but we should not be at each other's throat because we should all be on the same train trying to get to the same place, okay? But what it is, it's like we're arguing. If I disagree with you, I'm not supposed to disagree with you because you're the union. No, I'm the freaking union. Yeah. I'm and, the union. <laughs> and, and what's crazy with these guys is that, you know, I don't even know any of them. And I, I had to think back and reflect and was like, when did this attack start? Yeah, because it's so personal between them now to where, like I said, they all ran together. And what happened was, again, uh, Roger, I think it was the election where Curtis ran and uh, JP thought, who's the current vice president, thought it was his turn to step up. But they decided to go with Steph. And one of the things that Willie said was true. It was about color because T.A. Surface was predominantly black or whatever the case may be. But as you see, that didn't help out work out too well because yeah. JP is now the, the vice president. But um, that that they ran together. They ran on the same ticket. They actually ran against me because okay. I ran with rail and bus, and they actually ran against me. And they, uh, it, it was it was really really crazy that to look at what was going on. Now uh, Willie claimed that Steph lost a lot of overtime. One of the reasons that the that uh, the members of 126th Street wanted to go into Mapstow in seniority order was because they were losing a lot of work out of that depot. Richie Davis was raiding them like crazy. Yeah. And no one from TA Surface was doing a damn thing about it. When I was the chair, I was the division chair. Um, damn, I can't think of the maintenance guy's name. Anyway, 
They wanted to move to 57 to Quill Depot, which eventually wound up getting moved there anyway. Right. They wanted to move to 57. We stopped it from happening. We talked to John Hines, and we stopped it from happening. The minute that we both got out of office, then 126th Street was losing work like somebody had opened up a spigot there. So that was one of the reasons why they wanted to get out of that depot and go into Mapsville because they were losing so much work. So if you were able to keep the work there, then, I mean, because 126th Street has a rich history. They have a very rich history. That's the only depot, and going back to the elections where these clowns, uh, some of these clowns' chairs, uh, having people get up and walk out, that was the only depot that when management took their depot chair out of service, the depot walked. Wow. Their depot backed their chair. Yeah, you know, because I know a lot of those 126th Street people, and they basically have a lot of pride in that building because I go in there to clean up on a daily basis, you know, because the M15 drivers right. use the bathroom. So when I go, you know, when I do interact around them, that did they still treat that place as if it's still functioning yeah, Carl, in their mind? Yeah, Carlos Bonet was one of the strongest chairs that we had in TA Surface. John Maori was another strong chair. Jerry Baker was another strong chair. These were strong chairs. Now, these guys would sit up there, and if they listen to the podcast, Willie and them would sit up there and say, all these guys was this and they was that. These was chairs that nobody effed with, okay? Because, like I said, when these are people that, that moved their membership. If they told their members to move, they moved, okay? If they told their members, that, and they didn't censor you. They, they Jerry Baker who passed away recently, good chair, good friend. Unfortunately, I made the dumb decision one time against of running against him, which was wrong, and I shouldn't have done that. But um, And I'm mad enough to say that, and I, him and I sat down, and we straightened it out, and you know, I apologized because he was very good to me. Yes. But listening to somebody I shouldn't have listened to at that time. you know. But um, these were people that stood up for their members. They went in there and they worked hard. You don't have that anymore. When I did the assault conference, um, they wanted me to ask a question. Now, a lot of people disagreed, and as I said, uh, what Nick Bedell wrote in here about that the conference itself had some rough edges, but the panel with the district attorneys from each borough made it worthwhile. First of all- Why is the education guy- Exactly. Talking about that type of stuff. Exactly. First of all, you did nothing to help. You did absolutely nothing to help. I was told- that uh, people were making comments. They, they basically wanted it to fail because it was me and because I kept a lot of people out of it. Because And the reason why I kept people out of it because I didn't want to turn it into a contract fight. Um, we were under, we would wink, wink, negotiating a contract, okay? And I, didn't, I wanted to keep the two things separate because this was about safety. And I don't want to mix, I didn't want to mix up the two because I've been in situations to where we went to when, matter of fact, it was during the layoffs. Uh, we went, we had a meeting with the, um, the director of DCAS and we wanted to talk about seeing if we could bring some of the people that were, um, that were laid off, if we could put them in existing positions. And even though there was a list that was existing for those positions, and we went down there to have that discussion, and we were told that we couldn't do that. Kevin Harrington, who was the vice president of RTO, sat there and started going at Anita Miller at that meeting. So the, the director of DCAS was getting ready to get up and walk out because she said, I'm not here for a labor relations fight. I'm here to answer your questions that you may have. And again, the MTA was there to, to get those same questions answered. I mean, did, did they basically, did they use the layoffs trying to get us to reopen the contract? Yes, they did. 
Um, I was proud that John didn't bend to that and he didn't open up the contract. So that was a good thing. But there, again, there should have been, there really wasn't a hell of a lot of fight that was done to stop that from happening. Now, what I'd like um, you to explain to the members, if you have knowledge of it, is the apprenticeship program. I'd like to know um, the apprenticeship program was successful. Yes. For a long time after Roger negotiated to put it in the contract. Um, it was contractually, it was 96 um, budgeted positions with, a, in a, you know, as a, as far as a combination between all those titles of maintenance of way and, and, and other departments, it was a total of 96 budgeted positions. So what I'd like for you to explain to the members is why was the apprenticeship program cut and did, you know, what did the current administration do to try to not get it, you know, like did they do anything to not, uh, you know, to prevent it or did they just go ahead and say, okay, you can go ahead and have it? Yeah, I think that was one of the things that the MTA wanted to get, wanted to end was the apprenticeship program. And I don't think, not that I don't think, there wasn't a fight to save it or to fight for it because, again, it was con contractual. So even if you went to arbitration to fight them on stopping it, you could have you won an arbitration case. And I don't think there was ever an arbitration case that was done on it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How you feel about um, Samuelson underselling the uh, LIRR, like selling them out? Um, again, because he his main concern was getting into the international. There was no concern about anyone else's contract, even though he put on a great front to pretend that uh, he was looking out for them. Uh, he wasn't looking out for us because anytime you say, well, we're going to stall until the after the elections, you wasn't looking out for us. You was looking out for yourself, you know. And, and again, we as members have to stand up and we have to fight that type of nonsense and we can't keep sitting back and accept it. And I think just because and, and the, the, the mindset of our members, again, like I said, it has to change. When I, when I, when I resigned and I went back to, um, to driving, um, I had surgery. I was about to have surgery on my arm, so I couldn't go back to driving. I was actually wearing a brace. So what they did, they gave me two weeks of work cleaning the dashes and cleaning the windshields on a bus. So people would come up to me and they would go, what are you doing? And I'd say, I'm cleaning the windshields and cleaning the dash. Well, why are you doing that? You're a big time union rep. You shouldn't be doing this. And I'm looking at them and I'm saying to myself, and I'm saying to them also, why shouldn't I be doing this? If you needed restricted duty work and I was a union rep, I, this is the same work I would be getting for you. So if I'm going to hold myself to a higher standard than you, then how can I sit there and negotiate anything for you if I'm up here and you're down here? Okay. I should never That's the that. mentality now, and, it, and it's almost like embarrassing for them to go back to their tools. Right, and it is, because none of them, and, and, and that's why they cow down the way that they do, because nobody wants to lose that salary, nobody wants to go back to their tools. No, I don't want to ask, who sets the salaries? Is it like standard or... Does Samuelson set the Samuelson salary? set the salary? So if you my, if if you a friend of Samuelson, he could pay you nice. Yeah, I mean you got you had people up there at one point that was um, getting salary and they were getting money from the labor benefit account. Wow! And yesterday I had asked uh, Nick Bedell. No, actually Nick Bedell said the union is in the black, and I said so. Why doesn't Samuelson cut salaries? <laughs> in actuality, he spends money, you know, very he spends money like it's um going out of style from what I understand. I mean, and it ain't, it ain't, it's factual. It's, it's, it's factual, yeah. And, 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 right. And and then basically 
recently, from what I understand, um, I don't know if it's true, but I was told that he has um, the vice presidents, you know, they're all elected. No, no, the division officers, they're all elected. But now he's got more people on staff paying over $100,000. Well, the problem is, is again, as is uh, running for your third term, he promised a lot of people jobs. That's why there's so many people that was uh, so beholden to him before. That's why they're back on their tools because he had to bring in new people. He couldn't keep the old people and bring in the new people too. That's why so many people are back on their tools that did his bidding for him like the Richie Rivera's and, and the, the Lucas's. And I mean, these guys did some serious bidding for this cat and he put them back to their tools. And Tony, then, Tony Aikens. Tony Aikens. I mean, and Frank Austin. I, matter of fact, I spoke to uh, <laughs> Frank yesterday <laughs> and um, I asked him, I said, so how's your boy doing? And he said, well, he said that they um, he realized that he was used. Now, <laughs> I myself have to take some blame for that. And the reason why I have to take some blame for that, because when we first got in the office, uh, John asked me, he said, how could I get Frank Austin on my side? And I said, send him on a trip. He said, how could I get Tony Akins on my side? I said, give him a job. And once he did that, Tony Akins was his pit bull. So send him on a trip with the union money? Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, that was one of the things that you, you it, it's, it's, it's strange that you have so many people that are going on so many trips now as I uh, wrote earlier about the, the petitions that I think Nick Bedell and not Nick Bedell, uh, Steve Downs and, and Dr. Frank Goldsmith. I can't remember what, what country they went to to check out the petitions. And the petitions are actually motorized petitions okay. to where when you open up the door, the petition swings back in front of the operator. So it's totally protecting the operators, the people are boarding and paying their fares. Then when you close the door, the petition swings back to the white line. So basically no one can be in front of the white line because the way that the door swings, it would hit them. So that basically keeping your front clear. So now you don't have to have that cutout that they have on these partitions. So they went to look at these petitions in, I think it was Portugal. I'm not sure, but I think it was Portugal. What about um, Mexico? No, I don't think it was Mexico. I think it was Portugal. Okay. So, yeah, because I know it was in overseas. It wasn't, you know. Okay. So I think it was Portugal that they went to look at these petitions. But then when you came back with the information, you never presented this information or fought for these type of petitions for the operators. You just went along with the, the most cheapest things that they can get. Because I tell you, as a bus operator, I do not feel safe with those things at all. I, uh, MTA, what I don't understand is that it's a simple fix. You give the operator his own entrance on a bus. You put up a permanent, separate, separate him totally from the customers. Mm -hmm. Because you don't deal with the wheelchairs. They got to get on the bus themselves. You shouldn't have no interaction with no customers. Create an entrance just for the drivers to get in. Mm -hmm. You yeah, don't have they, to worry about that. Yeah, but they're not going to do that as far as no interaction with the wheelchair because you got to pull out the ramp. You got to do all that. So all, I, I see them do. That's not you can't do that by yourself. What do you mean? As far I mean, as the wheelchair? I, I, I see them just flip out the um. Yeah, that's 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 automatic. Sometimes don't work, but the, yeah. you still that's have that, some. But, that, but that, at that point, safety always come first. Right. Incidence is up. Fix the issue. Make sure these. If it, if it's bo, sorry, I can't pick up. No, no, we can't pick up because uh, transit buses is not working right. Mm -hmm. Well, put it on up. Okay. Well, let me. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something that I found out last year, and and Donald Yates said this in the Shopgate. 
at the depot. I remember him saying that uh, arbitrator Richard Edelman is a, is an old guy, eighty years old. Mm-hmm. So what happened in an enclosed environment, in a controlled environment, he pulled out that ramp that the wheelchair that, that, that flips over. Yeah, flips over that wheelchair ramp. So he he ruled that okay. If the wheelchair mechanism doesn't work for you pushing a button, you can get out and physically pull that and physically flip it over yourself. Because they was like, okay, if he did it, then you as a young man could do it. But again, in a controlled environment, it's not raining out. It's not snowing. You don't have a line of people wait, disgruntled people waiting on you because you're late and, and you know, breathing down your neck because you're late. So that's what I mean where I said people make these decisions, but they've never actually done the job before. Well, he did it at an empty, empty depot. Well, I don't, that's what, well, I don't know. I, I can't say where he did it, but y- y- you got to, you know, you would take an um, educated guess and say it was a controlled environment, probably in a depot somewhere. And, and, and a bus that was chosen by management for him to do it <laughs> on. Exactly. So it probably was the easiest lift in the world to yeah. lift, which when you're out there on the streets, that thing ain't that damn and, easy. And, and think no. about, look, you out in the streets, inclement weather. Hey, right. But not only that, that strap. Is, is on the ground. That strap, people are walking on that strap. Now, if I don't, I wear gloves. A lot of people don't wear gloves. Now, you're expecting me to, to pick up this nasty ass strap with my bare hands. Same thing with the, with the straps to, to lock in the wheelchair. Right. They don't change those straps. So, you know, you got all kinds of crap on those, on those straps. So, uh, again, you, 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 you're not showing us any respect. And it, the, the union has to address that. Because, again, with my back, let me try to lift that thing up. Let me ask you a question. Who do you got faith in the union? There, there are some good guys in maintenance of way. Uh, there's some some of the, the, the division chairs in maintenance of way are excellent. They they out there, they're doing a the job. They're protecting their members. Beyond that, not too many people. And, not too and, many and, people. And that's sad. And, I want to. I really want to hear what they go say when they hear this show. I mean, I th- let's let's talk about the 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 uh, accessory people. I mean, you, during the election, you put on this great show about how you send people all the way down to North Carolina to protest at this guy's home and and in front of his church and the leaflet is his neighborhood and the whole damn thing. Okay, what happened after the election? I haven't heard anything about them. Okay, you 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 screwed up the first time when. They were allowed to lay off 600 or 700 or some odd people. And and then they hired some of them back at a cheaper rate. And then you were lucky enough to represent them again. And you're still not representing them properly. Because I haven't heard one thing since the elections have been over since the, you know, about uh, the people from the accessory from First Transit, or which was First Transit. And from what I understand, the only thing that's being talked about now is is the Nick Bedell victories with these pedicab. Um, bikes. That's what they focused on now, <laughs> and and I think they're trying to get a tour bus company or something crazy like that. A tour bus? Uh, I don't know. I didn't hear anything about. Yeah, that. they. I think yeah, they are trying to get some tour bus company or something or another. But uh, uh, again, you you just had another union pick up. Uh, I think it was Uber. Uber, yes. Why the hell we didn't go for that? I heard about that. That would have been that would have been crazy. Yeah, why didn't we go? We should have went for that. Right. I mean, I think the machinist union or something picked them up. That's I mean, again, that's transportation. That's we should be. I mean, you you at one point had Samuelson talking about um, trying to trade off with ATU when he was friends with Larry Hanley, which now I see that they're not friends anymore. To where he was going to try to give them all of the school bus companies, and he was going to try to take some of the transportation companies from them. And at one point, I think um, 
ATU had filed perp charges against Local 100 because Local 100 was going after Spring Creek Depot mm-hmm. uh, trying to get them, which was, I couldn't understand why because that's the one and only depot with part-time bus operators. Yeah, exactly. Right. My to- that remember I told you uh, one of my friends got hired recently for part-time bus yeah, operator so over there. I don't, I don't understand where, where is the pressure? I mean, all during the election, you was out there talking about how you were working for, the, I, I think it's a GVS or something like that. Now, GVS is the eyeglass place. But they, you, you put all the, you sent people down to North Carolina. They stayed down there for a couple of weeks, leafleting in the whole nine yards. And now that the election is over, you're not doing anything for these people. Not, you haven't done one thing. I haven't seen an article. I haven't seen one fight. I haven't seen anything that you're doing for these people. So now it's okay that the election is over for management to stomp on them. Yeah. What do you think his next goal is, personally? His get, next goal? To get reelected into the international. As a president, you think he going to no. run for that? I don't think so because Lombardo's not giving that up. <laughs> a lot of people think he is. I think uh, that's one of them jobs where the only way you're going to get Lombardo out of there is death. Death, yeah. <laughs> like the Supreme Court or whatnot. You know? As what's the name said in the color purple, nothing but death can keep me from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That's all. He just wants to stay in the international, you know? Yeah, because, again, look at it. I mean, I I think we need to be asking the question not only of the salaries, but let's take a look at their pension and see what kind of pensions that they have. Because, again, if they have these golden parachutes that I keep hearing about, then, again, why do you have such a – why are you making such great money? Why why do you have a better pension than I do? Because, again, if you have the same thing that I have, then you're going to work harder for me because now you're working for yourself. Exactly. But when you have – Better than me, you're not working for me, and then you want to come out there. You making three hundred and two hundred thousand dollars, and then you want to tell me this is the best that you can do. No, it isn't. No, it's not. He no, it isn't. He's doing way better than all of us. Exactly. So and- I mean, we as members have to wake up, and we have to like I think you mentioned it earlier. Maybe it's time for us to protest in front of the union hall and and to get these guys to get up off their behinds and do something. I mean, the whole Vision Zero piece that was a complete joke. You came out here, you lied to people. You lied to people and told them that we weren't going to be arrested, which was an out-and-out lie. Uh, basically, you, the only thing that you stopped, you stopped us from getting arrested at the scene. That was the only thing you stopped. Because if you look at the language of, of, um, of Vision Zero, it's actually much tougher than what it was. It's not about liability or, ne- or negligence anymore. Because it's about, did, were you operating the bus with due care? Now, if you hit somebody in the crosswalk and that person has the right of way, then you weren't operating with due care. So the odds, yeah, you're going to be arrested. Every time you hit somebody in the crosswalk, you're going to be arrested. Or you kill somebody in the crosswalk, you're going to be arrested. Definitely. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But the only thing that they stopped was your arrest at the scene. But they came out, they lied to the members, or we stopped you from getting arrested. And like that's what I said. The members should be upset. They should be pissed off that they were lied to constantly. Just to get reelected, these people came out here and they lied to you. When are you going to stop accepting the lies and start holding these people feet to the fire and stop accepting this? You're my friend. You're not my friend because, again, my friends would do a lot better for me than what the hell you're doing. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, there's a Facebook group called MTA Winner Circle. It seems like, you know... He has a he he has a lot of diehard supporters yes. in that MTA winner circle because every time we post something 
a, a, a Roger, they put sleeping rats and, and say, hey, go back to Trinidad and all, all types of ignorant stuff, right? Right, right? And, you know, my thing is this, right? Is when it comes to these buses and fatalities and stuff, why is it nobody talks about federal law to where, listen, check the mechanics of the bus. Mm-hmm. Check, the, check the defect history. Because basically, again, it goes back to all the blame being put on the operator. Correct. Okay. Correct. And like, and just like you said, one hand operation. Listen, one hand. You know, anything can happen, even with two hands on the wheel. The the problem is, is that you, the minute that you stole, you start holding management responsible. And I believe in Cleveland, they're actually doing a program like that now. Accidents has dropped drastically because now the managers and the supervisors are being held accountable for those accidents. Because now. You're not just taking money out of my pocket. Now, if there's a fatality, if there's an accident, you're taking money out of that manager's pocket. Now they're going to come up with legit things to stop accidents from happening. Exactly. It's not a joke. With us, it's a it's a point where you post on the, and all, every depot, they got a television up there, and they tell you that this area is dangerous. It's a high accident area. Be careful. Well, if it's a high accident area, why don't you take the damn bus off of that route? Right. Move the bus a block over, whatever the case may be. So they keep running that bullshit about, you know, uh, safety before service. No, it's service before safety because if you would move that bus off of that route with that high accident area, then you would be able to save a lot a lot of things from happening. Exactly. So don't sit up there and you know that these buses have blind spots and you telling me to do the hokey pokey in the damn seat. <laughs> okay? Pretty much lean here, lean left, lean right. Lean, you lean know what I'm back, saying? Yeah. yeah, I just feel like I should be doing a rap song or something. Yeah, joke. <laughs> so you, you you got me in the seat, and the thing that kills me, while I'm looking over here to my left, things are changing over here to my right. Now, you're telling me that you want me to scan my mirrors every three to five seconds. So I'm looking here, three to five, one, two, three, four, five, scan, right, left mirror, right mirror, I mean, center mirror, right mirror, Uh I'm driving. Three to five seconds. Count. One, two, three, four, five. I'm scanning again. So meanwhile, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly taking my eyes off the road because you want me to keep scanning my mirrors. But now what they've also done, they're, they're, they're disciplining you for getting a flat tire. What? So what? Th- Yes. Yes. I didn't hear about this. Yes. You're getting disciplined for getting a flat tire. <laughs> well, what's, wow, what's the... What's the um, knowledge behind it? Because they again, labor. This is a labor relations driven organization. Just yeah. like, just like the whole premise behind the cameras is to write people up more so you can keep labor relations busy. Yeah, discipline. Yeah, yeah discipline. That's what it's all about. Discipline is at an all time high. During this past election, the current administration was telling everybody. Well, I know in my department they were telling everybody disciplines was down. Willie told me that we were winning all of our um, preventable accident cases because again, I made the offer that as a experience certified accident investigator let me come down and do the hearings they they have ex- experts testifying on their behalf why aren't we doing the same thing he told me we're winning all of our cases which i know is bull now before time runs out i want you to explain to the members about uh you explained to me about things that you were that um, with the assaults that you wanted to get it to be a crime at the federal level you were talking. You spoke to me about that and how you had the MTA on board, and then you also spoke to me about the, uh, um, I believe, with the buses, with uh, with how again how you were going around the different cities and checking things out. Explain to the members. 
The whole premise behind the uh, assault conference was, number one, uh, because uh, we bus operators and transit workers were getting assaulted all over the country. So uh, the plan was we were going to hold, we held the first conference here. The following year, there was a conference that was held in, and this was in 2012. We had, May of 2012, we had the conference here in New York, in Brooklyn, New York, at New York Tech uh, the Auditorium, which, knows long, which is no longer there. Uh, we, the following year, we had it in Philadelphia. None has been held since. What I wanted to do was hold it in each country, and the MTA was on board with that because I knew I had to get the MTA on board because we could not get, the, the district attorneys would not have shown up if we had requested them to show up. As a matter of fact, I think the Manhattan DA, uh, Loda himself had to call him in order to, for him to come because he was actually going to send a subordinate and uh, we couldn't get the police commissioner to come, but he sent um, he sent some of his chiefs. Uh, they were there. They talked about the assaults. We so the plan was was not only to to do it here, and actually the MTA had, was also going to go along with uh, stiffer penalties on the assault bill. As a matter of fact, the week that I resigned, I had a meeting set up with the MTA. Uh, Marvin Hollins, who was the PAC director, was supposed to come to that meeting, and so was Curtis Tate um, because John was upset that I resigned and, you know, I guess they wanted me to stay on or whatever the case may be. And I didn't stay on. Then he told me that I had to turn everything in that day. And I asked him, could I continue with the meeting? And he told me no. So I had to go back to my tools. Now the MTA had agreed to go in with joint legislation on stiffer penalties for, um, for transit worker assaults. Now, a lot of times people are blaming the MTA. And this is one time I can say honestly that they were on board with um, helping us to prevent uh, transit workers assaults. So uh, the other plan was that the because of, of having it in the different cities where they was having attacks was to make it on a federal level with the transportation reauthorization bill. We had um, Portia White, who used to be the PAC director at the International, which she was let go for some stupid asinine reasons. Um, she was working for Senator Harry Reid's office. So with the transportation reauthorization bill, we was going to try to get something written into that bill to make uh, transit worker assaults a federal crime. That that was the whole premise behind that. And again, the MTA was going to, again, go along with that because they don't want us assaulted anymore than we want us to be assaulted. Because, again, it's costing them a, a grip with people, again, with the spinning people being out for two years and so on and so forth. So they don't want it any more than we want it. So to sit there when I keep hearing, I think um, the following year, TA Surface gave a rally at 130 Livingston. Uh, and again, this was four years ago. Nothing has been done since. Um, as I stated earlier, nothing is done about, or nothing is being said about transit workers assault until a transit worker is assaulted. Um, Putting cameras on the buses, which this was, was written into this contract, and the partitions, like I said, these partitions are weak. Somebody can still get at you. Uh, there was a bus operator that was slashed on his arm. I think I still have the pictures on my phone, and the petition was closed. And the woman slashed him on, on his arm twice. In the Bronx? In the Bronx. So West Farms Depot? I think so. I think I know that, yeah. So, that so that, that just goes to show how much of a protection that these partitions are. So you did this, again, wink, wink, as a way of saying, look what we're doing for you. And in actuality, you haven't done shit. Right. Okay? Because these partitions aren't doing anything. Now, you were the ones that tell management you want cameras on 
the bus is for our safety. Now, management turned around, which you should have thought about it and said, now, management saying that, well, now we want cameras on the bus operators to make sure that they're operating safely. That's that's crazy. That's crazy. And basically, you can't, you know, they can't argue back with that because, again, you, you know, y'all requested it. That's you right. Know? So, like I said, basically, they just did with, you know, I'm, again, I, I have 16 years working on 17. And this current contract we're in, I'm just totally, dis, I'm disgusted down to the bone with it. Okay. And, you know, when you basically was just desperate and went to Governor, ran to Governor Cuomo like a little girl mm-hmm. and said, listen, you know, we need something. I got to look good, you know. That, uh, you know. And meanwhile, what did you get? I mean, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. The the maternity is a good thing. But it's again, a, it, but was coming, it, was it was coming, coming anyway. It's coming right. up the pike anyway. Okay. Exactly. But but the other part of it, and I'll never forget somebody term, termed this contract as the contract to die for. Because uh, if you die, your, your, your spouse keep your benefits. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you die, you get X, your family get X amount of money or whatever the case may be. Right now, as it stands, I would love to know what, how much has that either one of those things have cost DMTA? Right, you probably know, little to nothing. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You know, John John McCarthy was here. He called it the death contract, right. and and Joe Campbell called it the uh, the Cuomo contract. Right. <laughs> I, I, I was listening to. Uh, I want to read you a quote. I was listening to um, Public Enemy the other day, and when the song starts out and it describes this union, actually, it was. Uh, written and quoted by civil rights uh, activist attorney uh, Thomas TNT Todd. And it starts out, yet our best trained, best educated, best equipped, best prepared troops refuse to fight. As a matter of fact, it is safe to say that they would rather switch than fight. Wow, mm. that's true. And, and that's a, that describes the um, union right now. A- exactly, it does. <laughs> because again, these people are so busy uh, worrying about their own pockets. They don't have time to worry about you and I. Um, in my opinion, I think there need to be a bylaw change to where union reps have to go back to their tools for a certain amount of time. So then that way they, 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 they're under the same thing. Now people are going to simply say, oh, well, management will go after them. Bullshit. Bullshit. I mean, you, you, too many people, like I said, you have union reps that have not been on their tools for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. So how can you sit up there and negotiate anything for me? As a matter of fact, I forgot. Did I bring it? I found one of the first surveys that was done by uh, Samuelson. Surprise that the last, this past survey that they did is exactly the same. What, the contract demand? Yeah. There's, there's, nothing's changed, and and it, it was crazy. I was trolling one of the union reps at um at one seven nine, and I said, "Who put these demands together? Why is pension demands on a contract? Why is pen, anything oh. pension on a contract demand sheet?" Who, oh, he said, "Oh, the education department." Yeah, I could have told together. you that. That's who always put them together. <laughs> That's who always put them together. That's who always put them together. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kills me is that our reps will go out there and hand them out, as opposed to looking at them and saying something's wrong. Now. You have contract demands meetings uh, at a certain point. Uh, once you get close to the end of the contract, you have contract demand meetings. So you're supposed to get these same things from the contract demand meetings. So you're sitting up there, you're wasting time, you're wasting money with with um, with surveys. I never forget when when John first got elected, there was so much time that was wasted with um, MTA swaps, trying to get to MTA to refinance their debt which they didn't do. Um, Arthur Swartz came up with something where he wanted, and again, all of this was to try to put more money into the MTA coffers um, so we can get it at contract time, which again, 
just because they got it don't mean we can get it, which has been shown. So Arthur Schwartz came up with this thing of trying to increase uh, commercial taxes, which you know that wasn't going to fly over. Okay, so basically you're talking about the first couple of years. So much was wasted. So much time was wasted on nonsense of uh, trying to put money into the MTA coffers. I mean, again, you you there's other ways that the MTA can get money. Like uh, one of the things that the union did do, they put out this thing about some of the property that they own that they could lease it and rent out and so on and so forth. Some of the property in the subway stations. I mean, they don't own two Broadway. They're leasing two Broadway. These people were four hundred million dollars when they when they first took over two Broadway. They were four hundred million dollars over budgeted in renovations wow. of two Broadway. Four hundred million dollars. Okay, so you're going to sit up there and tell me you can't give me that kind of money, but you can waste that kind of money anytime you want to. An MTA wastes that kind of money every year. Why isn't the the um like the the discipline meetings and stuff like that held on neutral ground instead of two Broadway where management is at? Well, it, they sometimes they would have what's called um uh what do you call them? What it what it's <laughs> settlement meetings. They would do those sometimes with an arbitrator at the locations when they would they they would inundate themselves so much with discipline to where it was too much. So now they want to offer you deals in order to, you know, to try to get rid of, you know, some of the discipline that they themselves had had built up so much because they don't you know, the MT, the union don't keep abreast of the, the discipline and when it should go on the calendar and so on and so forth. So they wanted to do away with it. So a lot of times they would do the. um the settlement hearings. You think Samuelson consider you an enemy? I don't think he considers me an enemy. He knows that uh, that I'm going to tell the truth because I'm not going to sit up here. I don't. There's no reason for me to lie because, like I said, I could have stayed up at that union hall. I could have kept my mouth shut. And that's what some people are going to say. Well, why are you just coming out with this stuff now? Why are you just talking about the stalling co- tactics now? I tell you why. Right? Because progressive you, action is here. No, exactly. no, 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 no. Do you? Do you feel? Well, do you feel that he's going to come at you in a certain way, or do you feel you're going to feel some backlash behind he it? He can't come at me. He can't do shit to me. <laughs> I got 27 years. What can he do to me? You could put somebody, you could have management put somebody on my bus and ride my bus. I don't give a damn. I mean, what can, you can't do anything to me. Like I said, I'm not one of those people that fear my union, okay? I'm not, so you can't do anything to me. Nothing, absolutely that, nothing. You could, you could send your goon squad. You could do, send them. That's the same way them. I feel because I, I I feel that you know they be riding my train. Oh but yeah. The whole thing. This this is the thing. Since the since since I was born, I had no problem following no rules. The rules isn't bad here. Right. You know what I'm saying? They not bad. So I if y'all waiting for me to screw up, you gonna be waiting for a very long time. Progressive action is not going to stop. Yeah, but what I was saying is that I didn't just start talking about this stuff. The very next day after we had that meeting at his house where they was talking about the stall tactics, I went to some of the vice presidents that weren't invited to that meeting, and I told them about what was going on. They went right back to him and told him what I said. They went right back to him and told him, and that's when we started having a falling out. Of because they knew that I wasn't going to go along. Then when they bought the when they was in the process of buying the 195 Montague Street, he we did a tour of the property and uh, we everybody was there. All the VPs was there. Some of the e-board members was there, and he asked everybody what did they think. And some of the biggest mouths that were supposed to be his opposition sat there and didn't say a word. And I said, look, I I know I don't have a vote, 
But I think this is a total waste of the members' money. I think the members' money could be better spent than to buy these two and a half floors. And that's all he ke- and that's all that they that these people kept talking about was when Roger sold a building. When Ro- yeah, Roger sold a building. He did he had to sell it. Like, what are you talking about? Right. You know what I'm saying? And then and then y'all turn around, you know, it's all opposition, it's all rebellion to Roger. Yeah. This administration. It gets to the point that there's some time or, or another this union has got to get out of its own freaking way. We have to get out of it. Stop the politics. And like I said, you and I can have a disagreement. We should be able to sit down and talk and work out our disagreement. I shouldn't because I'm the president or I'm a division chair or I'm the vice president. I shouldn't sit up there and try my best to blackball you because you disagree and you don't. Hell, some of our best ideas can come from our members if we would just involve them. Don't send them a damn survey. Come out and talk to them. You're right. Why do why you think that um, Samuelson didn't send Yates back to his tools for the forgery? Because it, Yates brings them votes. So he's being used. Yeah, Yates yeah. brings them votes. Mm-hmm. If, if Yates had lost the election, then Yates would be back on his tools. See, now, this, this is the thing that I don't understand. When we started the show, we actually wanted to bring more transparency to certain things. But so does Samuelson. That's what, when he first got in office, that's what we talked about, transparency. We talked about stop. I mean, there was union reps that should not have even been on staff uh, once he won, and they won from the other, um, from, from, from Curtis Tate's team. A lot of these guys were in bad standing. They were in constant bad standing, so they shouldn't have even been, been on staff. They should have been removed. But because they won and they were able to bring votes, that's why they were allowed to stay on staff. Yeah, because it's just amazing to me, like, we had like Jamel tell me that Yates is, is knowledgeable in his job. Like he knows what he has to do. We have you, we have Joe, we have Steve. I don't understand why all these minds can't get together yeah. and do something powerful. And, and, and we should. I mean, that that's my point. We should. deal. You keep saying the elections are over. We should all come together. Then you're the president. Bring us together. Yeah. Bring us together. Call up Joe. Tell Joe to come down to the union hall. Call me to tell me to come down to the union Like I told him, uh, I don't need to be released in order to continue with the with the assault program. I didn't need to be released for that. I mean, if you wanted to, you know, I didn't need to be on full-time release. You could release me on times when I had meetings and so on and so forth. But I didn't need to be full-time released in order to do And just pay me my damn run pay. Right. Yeah. And, they, and, they, and, and they could also come up to progressive action because I reached out to Samuelson twice. And and still no response. Yeah, come because again he's afraid of what you're going to hit him with. But my thing is that again, like everybody keeps saying, elections are over. We should come together. If I'm the president, then that's what I'm doing. I'm call. You, wait, you did it with Curtis Tate, okay? You put Curtis Tate on staff, okay? Why well, I don't know, but you put Curtis Tate on staff, okay? So that was you. You talked about that's why you was doing that to try to bring stuff together. Why did you stop that? You didn't have to put him on staff because again. If you truly care about this union, and like I was telling you outside, this is the family business for me. My father retired as a train operator. My stepmother, who, who gave me the application, retired as a, a station agent. 
As a matter of fact, during World War One, I, I think it was when all of the men went off to war and they hired black women as trolley car operators. She was one of the first ones to do that. Really? As a matter of fact, you go up to the Union Hall, you'll see her picture up there. Wow. Oh, I know that story. Yeah, yeah, you'll well, see her picture. Okay, <laughs> you got to take us there. You, well, you got to show no, me it, which it, one. If, it, if it's still up there before Samuelson found it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, if he takes that picture down and you keep talking about women and, and women's rights and so on and so forth, then you're an idiot. But yeah. my thing is, like I said. This is this is this means something to me. This is not about a, just the salary. This is the family business. I hope one day one of my children will come in and 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 work this job. But that's why we need to change it and to make it better. So if they do come in, they don't have to face the struggles that we face. They don't have to work as hard as we work. Yeah, because you know we're our own worst. And you know this union, we're our own worst enemy. You know we think the MTA is our enemy, but no, we're our own worst enemy. And see what's going on right now is. The fact that I put an article in Progressive Action about the seriousness of gentrification right. and how now there's an article that says you have to make over $150,000 yeah, to live in this town. And I'm saying to myself, wow, man, you know, we come nowhere near that. That's we, right. a, again, we have to, I've heard of people, you know, working the extra list and making that type of money, but this is what, but that's what you have to do to make that type of money to be, to live comfortably. Exactly. To live comfortably. So that's what I mean, where I say, we, you know, with these contracts, we do have to get away from pattern bargaining. Yes. We do have to understand that, you know, because people think and that. percentage bargaining. And percentage bargaining. Right, because they think 10% is, is something big. Exactly. 10% it, it, ain't it's, nothing. It's, it's good if we we're talking about from one a year, 10%. But not ten percent over five years. Over five years. I mean, to show you how things bad, how how bad things have gotten in this in this city and in this country, I never forget when I was a kid. Uh, if I wanted extra candy money, I would go take bottles and cans to the store for extra candy money. Now people are doing that to live and to eat. Uh, it, it's sad that you know the way things have gone in the city and nobody said I mean as a matter of fact you talk about the 1% versus the 99% right now that's what we're facing in our unions right now what our reps making so much money and the membership are not making that kind of money you're talking about a 1% union and a 99% membership right. and that has to change right they think they're the you know they think they're the top 1% up there on the ninth floor in the, in 195 Monarchy Street that's, Man, that, that, to me it seems like with them it's like a bunch of wannabes right like they was failures in life and they came here and decided to we go do this we go do that and think make themselves think that they better than the membership yeah that's the problem but i think in order for us to grow we have to put our differences to the side there shouldn't be no reason why everybody can't sit in the room right and 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 hash it out for the for the movement for the culture uh, of this company i mean come out and 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 you, you, I mean, you might as well admit it because we all can see it that it was it was a stall tactic. It was all about you getting into the international. But okay, we're there, so let's move on from that. Let's move on to where you bring everybody together as the president. Call, like I said, call up Campbell, call up Liz Wilson. I mean, Liz Rodriguez. Call up these people. Bring us down to the hall because again, we're this next contract is going to be one of the toughest contract fights that we've ever faced, and you can't do it by yourself. And then you can't sit around. Now, one of the things that that really pisses me off was when I keep hearing people talk about rallies. MTA don't give a damn about us standing out in the streets anymore. I always say that. <laughs> they don't care about that. No, not no more. Yeah, yeah, they don't care about that anymore. Right now, if you don't, if you don't put, if you don't have some sort of way to put fear in them, okay, all they're going to do is look out the window and go, "Oh, damn, they got a nice crowd." See, what, nice. what they not thinking is that 
the MTA be having these com- community board meetings. We need to be there telling the because in order for us to be successful, we had we have to get the passengers on our side. That's right. Yeah, and and real quick, hopefully before we run out of yeah, time. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, our own e-board meetings is something that needs to change. Why is it that you and I cannot attend our own e-board meetings? How come I could attend MTA board meeting, but I can't attend my own e-board meeting? How come I can go and speak at the MTA board meeting, but I can't speak at my own e-board meeting? How come I know when the MTA board meeting is because they have it the same time every day, but I don't know when my MTA board, when I, my, my union board meeting is? I don't even know what's on the agenda until somebody decides to put out notes. That has to change. I should be allowed, the, the agenda should be sent out to the membership about what's going on. And... Uh, they should just like the MTA board meeting. You sign up to come and speak. You have a certain amount of time to speak. You come and speak on that on that issue, and then you move forward. Because the reason they don't want us there because they don't want us to see what's going on. Because if you think about it, and I would love for somebody to tell me when was the last time our e board voted on something that benefited the membership? Oh, when they voted to get Bernie Sanders. To- <laughs> to to um doors Bernie Sanders to yes. Bernie Sanders yeah but, but other than that what what else but see now I hold a lot of that our fault yes because if enough of us go down there yes. and say we want this to change because the Union Hall is no bigger than a studio right you know what I'm saying right in all, in all actuality if a hundred of us was to go down there. They and, won't be able to control and that. And that's the only way anything is going to change is if we go down there and we start making noise. We can't lay dormant anymore, then bitch and complain after the fact. And, we have to we have to let these people know. Like one of the things that like Willie keeps saying all the time, my division, my this, my that. No, it's not yours. It's ours. It belongs to us. You work for us. We don't work for you. That's a big misconception. And, yeah. And, and another thing is we need to change the way that we vote. We yes. need to change the voting system because there's no reason that we're stuck in the dark ages with that stupid AAA company to where it takes a whole month to ratify a contract. It takes a whole month to um, see who who's going to win the election. Basically, everything should be done electronically online and members can vote on this on their smartphone, That's tablet, right. whatever you can think of, they can vote on and it can be done in That's seven right. days. That's right. But do you need, I mean, you need that... The whole voting system needs to change, period, because, again, you're talking about the incumbents are in control of everything. They're the ones that sit back and come up with the election rules, you know. <laughs> so, right, and, so, they use, and they use the money for their campaign. Right, so how am I supposed to have any chance when I have no, no say-so in the election rules? And then you sit around, and uh, Barbara Dinehart, they, nobody should ever use her again. President Obama using her. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, but she's been involved in way too many of our elections. All right, Harry. It's, uh, it's almost time to wrap for us to wrap this up. I want you to leave the people with a final word. Go out with a bang now. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it real with them because we, we need to wake up the members and let them know exactly what's really going Again, on. Again, one of the things that I've been speaking about is we, we need to take back and I know that was one of the things that we ran under was take back our union. The membership needs to wake up and take back this union. The membership needs to get involved. The membership should stop waiting and, and, and stop, you know, they shouldn't allow the union to keep ma- waiting for them to come to them. We shouldn't have to go to 195 Montague Street. There are crew rooms. There are lunch rooms. There are locker rooms every damn where the union needs to come down and, and speak to us. Not, I mean, first of all, Forget shop steward classes with Nick Bedell. 
put you got enough people on staff that you could put somebody in every damn location and teach everybody at every damn location. Okay, because that's how many people that you got released. When uh, when I first came on with Roger, there was only Lloyd Archer and myself that was handling all of the hearings. Now I think you got about eight or nine or ten people that's released from TA Surface alone. <laughs> so that, I mean, we only got, what, five, six depots, five depots? So if you got nine people released or ten people released, so you're telling me that you have somebody to do this because we don't have hearings every day, okay? We don't have arbitration hearings every day. So you have the people that you can sit there and bring out and teach our members on the spot. Stop using, like I saw, the uh, they're doing fundraising already for, for the next election because in TA Surface they're doing raffling of a television set for Family Day. Uh, you need stronger... Stronger commitment in the women's department because right now I know they had a meeting. The only thing I seen from the, from that meeting was that they putting together a softball team for Family Day. Yeah, I, I seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen anything else about that. Uh, we 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 need to get stronger. The only way we're going to get stronger is again if we stop fighting each other. If the the the, the current administration stop thinking that this union belongs to them and want to keep everybody on the outside to disagree. Disagreement is good. Disagreement is, can be a good thing if you sit down, if you hash everything out, and then we go at the MTA, this next upcoming contract, strong and as one. But again, when you're teaching them, when you're teaching the membership right in front of their faces, to me, that alone will scare the crap out of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, was, that was great. That was great, Mr. Harry Wells. Thanks for, for summing that up for us. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and I'd and I like to say, Mr. Harry Wells, uh, you know, Tonight's show was very informative for a lot of the members. I hope the members wake up and take heed to what you, you know, to what we all talked about here. And basically, uh, you know, progressive action uh, is your friend. You know, you can come back up here anytime. I know the feeling is mutual with Tramel. You could come back here anytime you feel like it and shed some more knowledge and shed some more insight on what's really going on. Oh, you know? anytime. I mean, uh, uh, one of the things that I like to do also is start giving classes on accident investigation. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can do if people, like I said, would stop with the politics and stop hating on me because you're afraid that I might get credit for something or whatever the case may be. I don't give a damn who gets credit. I just want this union to become strong. That's all I want. That, that sounds good. Listen, follow us on Instagram, Progressive Action. Twitter, Progressive Act. You could download our podcast on Apple and uh, Google. Just type in Progressive Action. Thanks, Mr. Harry Wells, for coming through. Thank you for having me. And no don't problem. forget, and don't forget about Bcat. Yeah, Bcat this um this Saturday. Channel out. What channel it is again? Channel sixty seven. Sixty seven or sixty nine at six thirty is one of the two. We 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 go be on it again. Um, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. It was a great show. Next week. We'll let you, we'll keep y'all posted. Another surprise. Peace. Good show, fellas. <laughs>